I invite you to open your Bible to Psalm 148. Psalm 148. When you go through the book of Psalms, you see there are different sorts of moods and temperaments and expressions being given all throughout the Scripture. There's a real, I'm discouraged, I'm depressed, I don't know if I'm going to make it that happens. There's a, wow, everything is great, and we all ought to be jumping up and down and getting excited about it. There are all kinds of things that are just expressions of the heart, expressions of the soul. This is why it's so comforting to read the Psalms, especially when you're going through some stuff, because somewhere in there, you're going to be able to get a hold of the coattail, if you will, of the psalmist and ride that on up to wherever you need to go to bring perspective that will be fresh and new and good and right into your heart and into your thinking. When you come into this grouping, these last five psalms, the psalmist is filling these words, these songs, they're really songs, and filling the hymn book, if you will, with praise songs. These songs are designed to elevate our thinking, to lift our thinking. As a matter of fact, you'll see the word like in the beginning and at the end of our psalm today that says, praise the Lord. Now, the interchangeable word here is hallelujah. That can be given right here. It is one word. If you break it into two, though, you begin to see that hallel, that part of this word here, means to boast about. Some people might boast about themselves, but when you come into this setting, it's very specific. The boasting is going to be about the Yah part of that is Yahweh, Hebrew name for God. So he says here, praise the Lord. The psalmist is taking our focus off of us and putting our focus squarely on God and helping us understand who he is, what he is doing in our lives, how he is at work in the world, and the fact that he needs to be praised. You and I will go through seasons whenever we feel it. Things are going unusually rough in our life, or maybe we'll go through seasons where we're displaced from our normal routines and rhythms of life. Such was the case with Frederick Beekner, a novelist and a theologian, when he was serving in the military at Anniston, Alabama. He said, my company was on bivouac, and he said, we were doing our thing, and right now we were eating. So while they ate their meal, he said, I came to the end of my meal, I was out of food, and I was hungry. Have you ever eaten and you've been hungry after you've eaten? Just felt like, man, I need a little something more, something else. And you just felt like you need a little something else to tide you over a little bit. I mean, most of us in America have enough, but sometimes we may not. And he felt like he didn't. It was a cold, damp, misty, rainy day. The mud was all around. Everything was sloppy. There was plenty to bring his dauber down and to make him depressed, discouraged, and to feel that nothing was going his way. He looks over to one of the guys sitting next to him, and he sees that that guy has a turnip on his plate. How many of you like turnips? Three hands went up. <laughs> How many of you don't like turnips? How many of you have never tried a turnip and don't really know if you don't like a turnip? Nah. Now we got a witness in the house. Now, we, now we're talking, right? He was so hungry that he said to his friend, he said, are you going to eat that turnip? His friend said, no, I'm not going to eat the turnip. So he said, do you mind if, if I have it? His friend tossed it over. He missed it. It landed in the mud. What to do? He picked it up, mud and all, and put it in his mouth. He was hungry. He said, in that moment, his heart lurched. Something happened. He said, all of a sudden, the turnip was good. The mud was good. The drizzle and the cold around me was good. The army that I had dreaded was now. It was good. It's all right. It's all right. 
He said, I'm sitting there in this Alabama winter with a mouthful of mud and turnip. And at least for a moment, my heart was drawn to praise. And he said, sometimes our heart is drawn to praise like we would need to go out, and if only the birds would hear us, we would sing it to them. Sometimes our heart is called to praise and worship. Now, it is very true that when he mentions birds, that we might want to think about birds for a moment. Some people will say, that's for the birds, or you bird. They'll just say something like that. I'll stop with analogies about birds because we could go really weird in a hurry. I don't want to do that. But when you start thinking a little bit about birds, you think about a vulture and think about a hummingbird. If you're thinking about them, say yes. You've got this vulture on the one hand. It gets what it seeks. It seeks dead. It seeks carnage. You ever think of that? You take that hummingbird. Now you think about that hummingbird, right? If you are, say yes. Got this little hummingbird. It seeks sweet. You get what you seek. You get what you look for. So I ask you today, what are you looking for? In this passage, he says, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. He wants to bring us into praise. And as he draws our attention toward God, he's drawing our attention off some of the troubles we have in our life. He's drawing us off of some of those schedules that are so hard pressing, we hardly come up for air. He's drawing us away from all of those things that would distract us in life and create all kinds of problems. He's drawing our focus away from even some of the pleasures of life to a higher, greater understanding and a greater good. And so in these moments, he first of all, look at verses 1 through 6 in Psalm 148, he says, the heavens praise God. Now he calls out in verse 2 of our passage here, praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his heavenly hosts. We know that there are cherubim, they have four wings. We know that there are seraphim, they have six wings. Two, they cover their face in the presence of God. Two, they cover their feet in the presence of God. And with two, they fly to run errands for God. Some angels that the Bible would talk about don't necessarily depict wings. We read in the scripture that the angels appear in different places. You go into the Older Testament and you read about Daniel. Daniel met up with an angel. He had been praying a prayer for about three weeks, and he had gotten nowhere with his prayer, and he said, what took you so long? And the angel said, I was over in the next town, and I had to fight through demonic oppression, big demons, to be able to come to you and to your assistance. God had heard your prayer the first day, but I'm now here to help you out this day. Zechariah and Elizabeth Zechariah, he experienced the angel, right? Mary and Joseph, they had the angel. You remember Gabriel. There are other places where Peter had an angel show up to help him out. Perhaps you have had an angel help you out. Maybe you're sitting next to an angel today. I don't know. I'll keep moving. In Hebrews chapter 2, <laughs> the scripture says that Jesus took on the form of humanity and it's telling us there as it really exposes the theology of God, it, the, the God awareness. It says that Jesus takes on the form of humanity, which is just a little bit lower than the angels. So you and I are just a little bit lower than the angels. But the psalmist in this passage says, hey, all of the heavens and all of the angels, it's time for you to come as if the psalmist is getting ready to lead this massive, massive choir, this great big symphony of, of singers. And so the angels are called to attention. And then look at verse 3 of our passage here. 
Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, you shining stars. It's calling up into the heavens. It's said that we could see about two million stars out in the, into the night sky, uh, especially if you have some assistance, no lights around you really, and, and if you have uh, something like a Hubble telescope, you could really see some things, right? Recently they discovered the mysterious black hole disk, they call it. Big, big, big solar awareness out there somewhere in the great beyond. And the constellations, the pictures that we've received from that. And the psalmist in this passage is calling all of them to attention to their creator. He says, I'm calling your attention. Now, verse 4 does something interesting. Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters in the sky above. It's talking about the, the cloud situation, the cirroform cloud. That's coming from the Latin word, and it's talking about a curl in the hair. Some of you may have curled your hair today. You understand the dynamic of that form of the cloud, and you see the picture there showing you that. The cumulo form, that is kind of like the white cotton fluffy balls you might see on a toilet paper advertisement or a Kleenex box. Strato form, it's kind of like the layers out there on the horizon, if you will. It's just kind of like the clouds moving in. You can see them coming in. But the nimboform cloud is all three of them coming together and they form a rain cloud. And the scripture begins to tell us here that he absolutely is involved in all of this. Look at verse 8. Lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding. It's talking about all of them. And God controls them all. This is powerful understanding. And the psalmist said, now that I have your attention, angels, now that I have your attention, creation, all of you heavenly beings, all of you clouds, pay attention. It's time to worship. And as Isaiah 6 and 3 puts it, the whole world or the whole universe is full of God's glory. How big is your God? How great is his name? What can he do? Who is he really? And then the psalmist calls the earth to praise God. He calls on the earth to praise God in verses 7 through 10. He has taken our attention up into the heavenly and called all of them. Now he's talking about the world that's right around us. Not necessarily your problems and your trials, because look what he talks about. Look at verse 7 of what he's talking about. He's talking about the great waters, the sea of the world. Now an ocean averages about 2.3 miles deep. If you go over by Guam, there's a trench over there where it goes down about 7 miles. How many of you have ever been to King Cone and you know where that is? Lift your hand if you have. That's about seven miles from here, but who's counting? That's Egypt. And so when you go up there to Egypt Hill, you're over there. You should have stopped at Scoopendorf's on your way up there or Drizzle or some of that. But, but King Kong, just hit them all. And so you go on up there, and that's about seven miles. That's how deep the ocean is in that deep trench near Guam. And he made that. He didn't have somebody else make He made that. And then notice verse 8 is talking about the winds stormy winds. Pam and I were out in the backyard the other night with uh, our dog, and while we're out there just kind of waddling around, looking, looking around, we were noticing as the sun was headed down the different temperatures right there within our yard. When you go up a little bit, it's one. You go down a little bit, it's another. It's just amazing. Now, some of you, you ride bicycles. Some of you ride motorcycles. Some of you have convertibles, or you put your windows down. Uh, if you ride your bicycle a long way, you understand what I'm talking about. You get all kinds of smells. Can I get a witness in that? And then you get all temperature changes, right? You get those temperature changes that are happening out there. And here it says that he knows about all of that stuff. 
He is involved with the storms. They fulfill his word. And then it talks about mountain high. Now, have any of you been to Mount Everest? Have you seen Mount Everest? More than a picture. Lift your hand if you've seen it. A few of you have seen that. And it's a big, a big pile. Now, some people say there's another point that's actually a higher point or whatever. I'm not going to argue with you. That's five and a half. That's high enough for me. I'm not going up. So it's very high. And then look what happens in verse 9, the fruit trees. I was wondering, what does this mean that the fruit trees would be able to give thanks and they would give praise to God? What might that be meaning? Here's something I believe that that is talking about. Because back in Isaiah 55 and 12, it talks about the trees of the field. They're going to clap their hands. We used to sing a song about that. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Trees of the field will clap their hands. And it sounds cool. And it's a fun song to sing as we walk out with joy. And I'm thinking... Yeah, what's that really talking about? Well, what it, what it indicates is there is plenty because God has blessed abundantly and the trees aren't dead or dry. They have their leaves. They have their fruit. And the psalmist said, it's time for you to clap your hand. It's time for you to praise God. This is what's going on. You need to be doing that. And so the psalmist here has all the universe standing at attention as though standing at the podium, getting ready to direct this massive, massive musical event all of the universe is at attention, the clouds and everything, stars, angels. Now he's got all these people around considering nature. Yeah, there's nature all around. And he says, I want you to get in on this because God is the one we're going to praise for everything. Rich Tatum and his wife like to take vacation. They take vacation, come back. He would take a lot of pictures because he was a shutterbug and taking a lot of these pictures come back and then she would take him to work and show all the people the pictures that he had taken. And the people were so happy about the pictures and getting to see. It's almost as if they had gone without paying the price for the vacation. And they would comment about what a great camera Rich has. He has a terrific camera. Man, that camera's awesome. So she would go home from work and he'd say, how do people respond to the pictures? And he, she said, well, they really like that camera. They say, man, he's got a great camera. They're so happy to be able to see these pictures. And he got miffed. He said, how many people would look at a painting and say, that painter's got a nice brush? And how many people would look at something that had been sculpted and say, that sculptor's got a nice chisel? They ought to be thinking about the person taking the pictures. And then his wife said something. He jerked a knot in his proverbial tail, and that was this. How often do you look at creation and not say, nice work, God, the whole earth? Then notice, humanity is to praise God. Humanity is to praise God. Verse 11 through 14 is where I get this. We were created in the image of God, in the likeness of God. He is God and we are not. But when you begin to understand a little bit about him, some of his attributes, those are his defining qualities. You begin to understand some things that are really beyond our easy definition and really go beyond our comprehension in its fullest. Words like omniscient, he knows everything. I mean, you and I know something about some things, and we may know a lot about a few things, but we don't know everything about all things. We just don't. We hit limits, right? And so, one of the attributes of God is he's omniscient. Another is he's omnipotent. If he can make the world and create that seven-mile trench over near Guam, and yet pile up a big pile over there by Everest, it's like, are you kidding me? He is incredible to be able to do this, however he chose to make it happen. 
omnipresent. That's another one that's amazing, isn't it? How he knows what's going on in your life on Tuesday, and he knows what's going on in your life on Tuesday, and your life on Tuesday, and he just knows what's going on in your life. He knows all about it. If you summarize all of these and put them together, you see that there is a sum total that equals God. One of the great attributes of God is He is holy. This is why the Scripture says in Exodus 20, don't take His name in vain. You might take your name in vain. You might take somebody else's name in vain. You might take your cat's name in vain, your dog's name in vain. Don't take God's name in vain. He, he specified that in one of the commandments. Why would He do that? Because He knows who He is. He's not skin thin, thin skin. He knows who he is. And when the psalmist has all of the universe at attention, ready to praise, all of the earth's creation at attention, ready to praise, he now talks to humanity. Well, why would we praise God? How could we praise God? Is there anything we have to praise God for and about? We'll go back to Psalm 146. It's in the same grouping of these five. Psalm 146, go down to verse 7. It says, it says there that God remembers the oppressed. Have you ever been oppressed? He remembers you. You know, we pray for the persecuted church around the world. We're praying, God, remember them. They are among the oppressed. Verse 8 of that passage says, he encourages the discouraged. We sang just a little bit ago in our singing that song. We sang a verse from it. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And as I said last weekend, Scriven, when he wrote that, he was writing even from his own depression. He battled that, that God would be with him and God would help him. The Lord encourages us. In verse 8, he's our moral compass when we don't know what to do and the world is crowding around us and the tides of culture change to whatever is correct in the season or the decade in which you live. Here he comes with a ma massive message and says, hey, remember me. In verse 9, he remembers our physical needs. That's what we prayed about for Ken just a little bit ago. And when we sit there and thank God for our food, we'll sit down and say, Lord, thank you for the food that we have before us. We're so grateful for the provision of this. Bless everyone who prepared this from its beginning to now. Thank you for it. Amen. We're thanking him for the creation he has provided. But verse 13 says that he wanted to remind his listeners, those who would be singing this song, that God has saved them. He has rescued them as a people. I say to you today, we can say the same thing from a different perspective. Since this was written, Christ has come to the earth as a baby. He has died on the cross. He has risen from the dead, and he is Lord. And the beautiful thing about it is, in his resurrection... Being the only one in history of the world to do what he has done, die, and then come back to life. In all of the beauty of this that he has provided, he gives an invitation to everyone in the entire world that they can come to him and confess their sin and find forgiveness of sin and be made right with God. That's what we call justified. They can be born again. Their spirit is born anew. Even if you're an older age person, so what? Or maybe you're a teenager, so what? You are born anew in your spirit as if you had never sinned. Now you are made new before God. You're right before God. You are able to live the life God wants you to live. Find the purpose he has in mind and the destiny and you're able one day when you croak and take your last breath, you're able to go into the house of the Lord forever because he has promised to give you eternal life. Can I get a witness somewhere in the house today? And he has promised this for every one of us. Stan Telkin was a successful Jewish businessman. Some of you are Jewish. You may have heard of him and known him. 
Some of you have read, and maybe you know who he is, who he was. He was a devout Jew, his wife and two daughters. They were of the Jewish faith. One of his daughters went off to college and called back home and said, very simply, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. He was alarmed within his mind and heart. How could this be? He and his wife and the other daughter, they would, they would talk about this, and they'd get so tense in their arguments. They said, let's don't talk about it again among each other, but let's each separately begin to study and find the way that we can refute this that she has gone to now. And in his efforts, one time he was at a national convocation of Messianic Jews. He looked at it as another business opportunity. Another time he'd be able to go and sit around with other people, strike up business deals. You know how you network if you're in business. You understand that. You want to better yourself. You want to get another open door, right? You're, you're sitting there trying, and so you're always alert. You're always on the lookout, and he was on the lookout for that. But he was also in a quest to try to tell his daughter this stuff is crazy and debunk the faith. And in those moments, while he was seeking to do all that he was about with this, he was restless and he could not sleep. And in those moments when he could not sleep, he said to the person who was sharing the room with, he said, I need you to pray for me because I'm so uneasy. And his friend said, I'll pray. God, help Stan to come to peace in his heart. Stan lay awake in the room, and while he was laying there, he said, I realize I do believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, it's pretty interesting that the Scripture says Abraham, that's Father Abraham, and his son, Isaac, and it says Jacob. Jacob's name was transformed to Israel. Why in the world would God not keep with the better name Israel, but stay in the listing of that trilogy with the name Jacob? I believe there's a reason, at least one, and that is that God wants every one of us to know that no matter our beginning, Jacob was a deceiver. No matter our beginning, Jacob lied. No matter our beginning, Jacob was known as being crooked. His name meant crooked. <laughs> no matter the beginning of our life, what has led us to the moment that we experience today, God loves us and sent Christ to die for us, and He still offers salvation to anyone who will call on His name. Can I get a witness in the house today? Yes. And Stan Telkin said, I could believe in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I believe that the Bible is God's inspired word, but he could not bring himself to say that Jesus is the Messiah. He couldn't bring himself to do that. The next morning, they were sitting at a table, and the table they were sitting at was for their breakfast meal. And someone at the table said, Stan, would you return thanks before we eat today? And he said, yes, I'll do it. And he begins to pray. Here's what he said he prayed. Praise be thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe. Now we're into that, right? I thank you for the fellowship and the friendship at this table. Yeah, we're all right with that, yeah. I thank you for what we have learned at this meeting. Hmm. I ask that you now bless the food, and I do so. In the name of Jesus, the Messiah. And when he did that, something happened in his heart. 
He was changed in the moment and transformed. Other people sitting at the table got up and came over to him, and they started high-fiving and hugging him. There were tears, and everybody was all excited. (laughs) This was a moving moment. Stan had crossed the line into faith in Christ, but he didn't know how his wife and other daughter would take it. Oh, man. Her name was Ethel. I call Pam Ethel. Maybe your name is Ethel. (laughs) It was a different woman, Pam. Stan's wife, Ethel. He didn't know how she'd take the news, so he called her, and the phone was ringing. And finally, she answers on the other end. Ethel, honey, it's me. It's over. I've made my decision. Jesus is the Messiah. What would she say? What would she think? What would her response be? She paused for a little bit, and then she said these words, thank God. That makes it unanimous. We've all been waiting on you. Wow. Entire family came to Christ. And he dedicated the rest of his life to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He is God's son. He did die for you. He loves you today. And he wants you to come and be his child. Have you done that yet? Have you been able to join in with all of the universe and with all of the earth and with all of the other believers around in the whole world and join in and in this moment be able to lift the mighty anthem of praise, not just to anybody, but this praise to God, our Father, who is a Savior and Redeemer of us all. Let everyone that has breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah.